Alma chapter 13. Now we come to the chapter which tells us more about the Melchizedek priesthood than any other chapter in the Book of Mormon. This is the capstone of Alma's great sermon as he comes toward the conclusion. And again, my brethren, I would cite your minds forward to the time when the Lord God gave these commandments unto his children. And I would that ye should remember that the Lord God ordained priests after his holy order, which was after the order of his Son, to teach these things unto the people. Alma wants to emphasize that from the very beginning of the human race, God set up a holy order of the priesthood so that righteous men could be ordained to teach the true principles of the gospel to each generation. And those priests were ordained after the order of his Son, in a manner that thereby the people might know in what manner to look forward to his Son for redemption. After Alma emphasizes that the great order of the priesthood was set up after the order of God's Son, so that all mankind would appreciate that he and he alone was the only one toward whom they can expect to receive their salvation or redemption. Next, Alma wanted his listeners to know that those who received the priesthood were actually called and ordained to perform this great service in the spirit world before they were born. And he wants to describe the kind of spirits that were selected for this great privilege. And this is the manner after which they were ordained being called and prepared from the foundation of the world according to the foreknowledge of God, on account of their exceeding faith and good works, in the first place being left to choose good or evil. Therefore they, having chosen good and exercising exceeding great faith, are called with a holy calling. Yea, with that holy calling which was prepared with and according to a preparatory redemption for such, Surprisingly, we now learn that some of the spirits who were offered the opportunity to serve in the holy priesthood rejected it. Here is what he says. And thus they have been called to this holy calling on account of their faith, while others would reject the Spirit of God on account of the hardness of their hearts and blindness of their minds, while if it had not been for this, they might have had as great privilege as their brethren. As a result of rejecting the priesthood in the spirit world, some were not allowed to have the priesthood during their earth life. This restriction lasted from generation to generation. However, from earliest times it was promised that someday this band or restriction would be lifted so that righteous men throughout the world could receive the priesthood. This glorious promise was fulfilled on June the 1st, 1978 when President Spencer W. Kimball, the prophet of the Lord at that time, was told by the Lord that henceforth all worthy males, regardless of race, would be allowed to receive the priesthood. When the revelation was presented to the body of the general authorities, they all received a glorious confirmation that it was true. Since then, a tidal wave of missionary work has gone out into every nation, tongue, and people. Now men of all races are on the same standing as they were originally in the pre-existence. Or, in fine, in the first place they were on the same standing with their brethren. Thus this holy calling being prepared from the foundation of the world for such as would not harden their hearts, being in and through the atonement of the only begotten Son, who was prepared. And thus being called by this holy calling, and ordained unto the high priesthood of the holy order of God, to teach his commandments unto the children of men, that they also might enter into his rest. As we mentioned in Alma chapter 12, the last four verses describe how human beings can enter into God's rest while living in mortality. It all begins with ordained ministers of the priesthood, proclaiming the principles of the gospel to repentant listeners with contrite hearts. Now Alma wants to talk about the eternal nature of the holy priesthood. This high priesthood being after the order of his Son, which order was from the foundation of the world, or in other words, being without beginning of days or end of years, being prepared from eternity to all eternity, according to his foreknowledge of all things. Now, they were ordained after this manner, 
being called with a holy calling, and ordained with a holy ordinance, and taking upon them the high priesthood of the holy order, which calling and ordinance and high priesthood is without beginning or end. Thus they become high priests forever, after the order of the Son, the only begotten of the Father, who is without beginning of days or end of years, who is full of grace, equity, and truth. And thus it is. Amen. Now, as I said concerning the holy order of this high priesthood, there were many who were ordained and became high priests of God. And it was on account of their exceeding faith and repentance and their righteousness before God, they choosing to repent and work righteousness rather than to perish. Notice that those who receive the priesthood are expected to be diligent and work righteousness just as Alma and Amulek were doing. Notice especially that those who are not diligent in working righteousness in their calling shall perish or be denied a place in God's kingdom. These are they whom God says were not valiant in the testimony of Jesus, wherefore they obtain not a crown over the kingdom of our God, but end up in the terrestrial kingdom. This is the way it says it in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verse 79. Therefore they were called after this holy order, and were sanctified, and their garments were washed white through the blood of the Lamb. Now they, after being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, having their garments made white, being pure and spotless before God, could not look upon sin, save it were with abhorrence. And there were many, exceeding great many, who were made pure and entered into the rest of the Lord their God. In contrast to those who do not work righteousness, we have the faithful, diligent members of the priesthood who do not only become sanctified, but enter into the rest of the Lord. Now Alma wants to refer to a wicked city just like Ammonihah, which was saved when the people accepted the message of the prophet Melchizedek. And now, my brethren, I would that ye should humble yourselves before God, and bring forth fruit meet for repentance, that ye may also enter into that rest. Yea, humble yourselves even as the people in the days of Melchizedek, who was also a high priest after this same order which I have spoken, who also took upon him the high priesthood forever. And it was this same Melchizedek to whom Abraham paid tithes. Yea, even our father Abraham paid tithes of one-tenth part of all he possessed. Now Alma wants to talk about the second body of laws or carnal commandments which were given to Israel to prepare them for the coming of Christ. The city of Ammonihah were not obeying these ordinances of the laws of carnal commandments, let alone the higher laws of the gospel which were given to Adam in the very beginning. Alma is ready to tell the story now of Melchizedek saving the city of Salem, which was as wicked as the city of Ammonihah. Now these ordinances were given after this manner, that thereby the people might look forward on the Son of God, it being a type of his order or it being his order, and this that they might look forward to him for a remission of their sins, that they might enter into the rest of the Lord. Now this Melchizedek was a king over the land of Salem, and his people had waxed strong in iniquity and abomination. Yea, they had all gone astray. They were full of all manner of wickedness. But Melchizedek, having exercised mighty faith, and received the office of the high priesthood according to the holy order of God, did preach repentance unto his people. And behold, they did repent, and Melchizedek did establish peace in the land in his days. Therefore he was called the Prince of Peace, for he was the King of Salem, and he did reign under his father. Now there were many before him, and also there were many afterwards, but none were greater. Therefore of him they have more particularly made mention. An additional detail concerning Melchizedek is found in a modern revelation. It says the higher priesthood is called the Melchizedek priesthood because Melchizedek was such a great high priest. Before his day it was called the holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God. 
but out of respect and reverence for the name of the Supreme Being, to avoid the too frequent repetition of his name, they, the church in ancient days, called the priesthood after Melchizedek or the Melchizedek priesthood. Unquote. This is quoted from the Doctrine and Covenants section 107, verses 2 to 4. Alma had told the story of Melchizedek and how famous he had become because he had saved the city of Salem by getting the wicked people of that city to repent. He knew Ammonihah could be saved the same way, so he said, Now I need not rehearse the matter. What I have said may suffice. Behold, the scriptures are before you. If ye will rest them, it shall be to your own destruction. Alma therefore proclaimed the same message to Ammonihah that Melchizedek had proclaimed to Salem. The record says, And now it came to pass that when Alma had said these words unto them, he stretched forth his hand unto them and cried with a mighty voice, saying, Now is the time to repent, for the day of salvation draweth nigh. Yea, and the voice of the Lord by the mouth of angels doth declare it unto all nations. Yea, doth declare it, that they may have glad tidings of great joy. Yea, and he doth sound these glad tidings among all his people. Yea, even to them that are scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. Wherefore they have come unto us, and they are made known unto us in plain terms, that we may understand that we cannot err, and this because of our being wanderers in a strange land. Therefore we are thus highly favored, for we have these glad tidings declared unto us in all parts of our vineyard. Alma wanted the people to know that the voice of angels was abroad in the land. Both Alma and Amulek had been instructed by angels, and Alma says the angels have a message in plain terms that cannot be misunderstood. For those who repent, there is the tidings of great joy, which means a glorious redemption through Jesus Christ. For behold, angels are declaring it unto many at this time in our land, and this is for the purpose of preparing the hearts of the children of men to receive his word at the time of his coming in his glory. And now we only wait to hear the joyful news declared unto us by the mouth of angels of his coming. For the time cometh, we know not how soon. Would to God that it might be in my day. But let it be sooner or later, in it I will rejoice. And it shall be made known unto just and holy men by the mouth of angels at the time of his coming, that the words of our fathers may be fulfilled according to that which they have spoken concerning him, which was according to the spirit of prophecy which was in them. And now, my brethren, I wish from the inmost part of my heart, yea, with great anxiety, even unto pain, that ye would hearken unto my words, and cast off your sins, and not procrastinate the day of your repentance. The holy men who are moving among the people are anxious to receive the glorious revelation that the coming of Jesus Christ will be soon. Meanwhile, the angels have a message for the people of Ammonihah. The proclamation of the angels declares that these people must repent or be completely destroyed. They must not procrastinate their day of repentance. But that ye would humble yourselves before the Lord, and call on his holy name, and watch and pray continually, that ye may not be tempted above that which ye can bear, and thus be led by the Holy Spirit, becoming humble, meek, submissive, patient, full of love, and all long-suffering, Alma then proceeds to itemize the qualities of Christian life which he earnestly wants them to cultivate. Having faith on the Lord, having a hope that ye shall receive eternal life, having the love of God always in your hearts, that ye may be lifted up at the last day and enter into his rest. Alma closes with a fervent prayer that somehow this people will save themselves. He says, and may the Lord grant unto you repentance, that ye may not bring down his wrath upon you, that ye may not be bound down by the chains of hell, 
that ye may not suffer the second death. Finally, Mormon the historian adds this brief note. And Alma spake many more words unto the people, which are not written in this book. Alma 14. This chapter is a vivid demonstration of what happens when good and evil run their course and finally reach the ultimate climax. During such a contest, it always seems that during most of the time, evil prevails. Not until God intervenes with all his divine power does the good overcome evil. And it came to pass, after he had made an end of speaking unto the people, many of them did believe on his words, and began to repent, and to search the scriptures. It must have been heartening to Alma to see that at least a few of the people of Ammonihah responded to his message. As for the remainder of the people, Alma carried a heavy burden on his heart, because he had already been told what would happen to them. But the more part of them were desirous that they might destroy Alma and Amulek, for they were angry with Alma because of the plainness of his words unto Zeezrom, and they also said that Amulek had lied unto them, and had reviled against their law, and also against their lawyers and judges. And they were also angry with Alma and Amulek, and because they had testified so plainly against their wickedness, they sought to put them away privily. This last statement in this verse is ominous. When evil men cannot cope with the teachings of good men, they begin thinking of murder as the only solution to their problem. The teachings of Alma and Amulek had so aroused the feelings of hatred in their hearts that these disciples of Nehor were trying to plot ways and means of secretly killing Alma and Amulek. But it came to pass that they did not, but they took them and bound them with strong cords, and took them before the chief judge of the land. And the people went forth and witnessed against them, testifying that they had reviled against the law and their lawyers and judges of the land, and also of all the people that were in the land, and also testified that there was but one God, and that he should send his Son among the people, but he should not save them. And many such things did the people testify against Alma and Amulek. Now this was done before the chief judge of the land. It is obvious that the chief judge had not heard the sermons of Alma and Amulek because the people had to relate in a morbid, accusatory way the things they had said. And it came to pass that Zeezrom was astonished at the words which had been spoken, and he also knew concerning the blindness of the minds which he had caused among the people by his lying words, and his soul began to be harrowed up under a consciousness of his own guilt. Yea, he began to be encircled about by the pains of hell. It is amazing that as the Ezrom heard the recitation of the teachings of Alma and Amulek to the chief judge, it impressed this conniving Zeezrom what an abominable thing he had done to deliberately try to snare these men and have them arrested. Then after he realized he had made a mistake, he could not persuade the mob of Nehorites to desist. However, the very fact that he had now begun to feel the pains of hell in his heart would indicate that he had opened his mind sufficiently to let the Spirit of the Lord begin working on him. And it came to pass that he began to cry unto the people, saying, Behold, I am guilty, and these men are spotless before God. And he began to plead for them from that time forth, but they reviled him, saying, Art thou also possessed with the devil? And they spit upon him, and cast him out from among them. And also all those who believed in the words which had been spoken by Alma and Amulek. And they cast them out, and sent men to cast stones at them. It is amazing that even the lawyer Zeezrom, who was just beginning to come to his senses, was among those who were stoned and driven out of the city. We learn about this in the next chapter. But the vitriolic wickedness of these disciples of Nehor reached their murderous peak when they decided to take all the women and children of the men who had become believers and burn them alive. 
and they brought their wives and children together, and whosoever believed or had been taught to believe in the word of God, they caused that they should be cast into the fire. And they also brought forth their records, which contained the holy scriptures, and cast them into the fire also, that they might be burned and destroyed by fire. To avenge themselves on Alma and Amulek, they took the two missionaries to the fire pits and forced them to listen to the cries and screams of the women and children as they were being consumed in the flames. And it came to pass that they took Alma and Amulek and carried them forth to the place of martyrdom, that they might witness the destruction of those who were consumed by fire. Both Alma and Amulek knew that they had the priesthood power to stop this terrible, ghastly torture, and therefore Amulek felt compelled to plead with Alma to exercise that power. And when Amulek saw the pains of the women and children who were consuming in the fire, he also was pained. And he said unto Alma, How can we witness this awful scene? Therefore let us stretch forth our hands, and exercise the power of God which is in us, and save them from the flames. Alma's reply tells us that he had already asked for permission to use the priesthood power which they possessed. But the Lord's response tells us volumes about our Heavenly Father. All during the second estate, there are millions of times when the free agency of some is exercised in such a way that it causes terrible suffering to others. Satan's plan would not have permitted this. He would have set up a dictatorship and compelled all human beings to avoid evil. But then how would the father's children have learned the difference between good and evil? Without free agency, nothing would be learned because no one would be allowed to see the consequences of his or her mistakes. In fact, no mistakes would be allowed under Satan. For obvious reasons, the plan of Satan was rejected. But now consider the consequences of preserving universal free agency under the plan which the family of the gods have always used. Free agency allows some to exercise cruelty and violence. This means there will be victims of cruelty and violence. But can our Heavenly Father do anything about it? To fulfill the probationary purposes of the second estate, the Father and even the angels of heaven must endure the agony of beholding the elements of injustice, cruelty, and evil up to the point where the evildoers either repent and turn back or continue to the point where their evil has become infinitely revolting to the entire mass of organized intelligences which serve the Father in this round of creation. The Father must wait until these intelligences have reached a point of total revulsion against a certain evil before the Father can act. This is because the Father receives his power through the support, honor, and obedience of these intelligences. This is mentioned in the Doctrine and Covenants section 29, verse 36, and section 63, verse 59. The honor and obedience of these intelligences is what makes the universe function under the Father's guidance but he must not lose their confidence by acting prematurely before these intelligences have reached a unified agreement that will warrant support of the Father when he takes action. If he did so, the Scripture says the consequences would be catastrophic. He would cease to be God. This profound doctrine is mentioned in Alma 42, verses 13, 22, and 25 and by Mormon in chapter 9, verse 19. So when Alma asked for permission to stop the burning of the women and children, the Lord explained that their suffering would last but a moment. But at the final judgment, these cruel acts would provide the justification for the punishment of these wicked men, and the Lord said their suffering would last until they had paid the uttermost farthing. Only when this doctrine is fully understood do we get the significance of Alma's statement in this 11th verse that God's wrath, quote, must be just, unquote. 
In other words, the intervention by the Father must be justified, and this will not occur until the anger of the intelligences throughout this round of the Father's creation have been so universally aroused that their cup of wrath is filled to overflowing. Then the Father can act. Meanwhile, as the Scripture says in Abraham chapter 4, verse 18, the Father is under the necessity of watching and waiting. But Alma said unto him, The Spirit constraineth me, that I must not stretch forth mine hand, for behold, the Lord receiveth them up unto himself in glory. And he doth suffer that they may do this thing, or that the people may do this thing unto them, according to the hardness of their hearts, that the judgments which he shall exercise upon them in his wrath may be just. And the blood of the innocent shall stand as a witness against them, yea, and cry mightily against them at the last day. In this next verse we find that Amulek felt the Lord's response to Alma had some very serious implications for both him and Alma. Now Amulek said unto Alma, Behold, perhaps they will burn us also. Alma was reconciled to allowing the will of the Lord to run its full course, but he didn't think they would be made martyrs as yet because they still had a tremendous amount of work to do. And Alma said, Be it according to the will of the Lord. But behold, our work is not finished, therefore they burn us not. Now it came to pass that when the bodies of those who had been cast into the fire were consumed, and also the records which were cast in with them, the chief judge of the land came and stood before Alma and Amulek, as they were bound, and he smote them with his hand upon their cheeks, and said unto them, After what ye have seen, will ye preach again unto this people, that they shall be cast into a lake of fire and brimstone? Behold, ye see that ye had not power to save those who had been cast into the fire, Neither has God saved them, because they were of thy faith. And the judge smote them again upon their cheeks, and asked, What say ye for yourselves? Now this judge was after the order and faith of Nehor, who slew Gideon. And it came to pass that Alma and Amulek answered him nothing. And he smote them again, and delivered them to the officers to be cast into prison. This was a shocking development. It was gradually adding more and more to the cup of God's indignation, so that his outpouring of wrath would soon be justified. And when they had been cast into prison three days, there came many lawyers and judges and priests and teachers who were of the profession of Nehor. And they came in unto the prison to see them, and they questioned them about many words, but they answered them nothing. And it came to pass that the judge stood before them and said, Why do ye not answer the words of this people? Know ye not that I have power to deliver you up unto the flames? And he commanded them to speak, but they answered nothing. It is interesting that the chief judge was still considering the possibility of having Alma and Amulek burned. And it came to pass that they departed and went their ways, but came again on the morrow. And the judge also smote them again on their cheeks. And many came forth also and smote them, saying, Will ye stand again and judge this people and condemn our law? If ye have such great power, why do ye not deliver yourselves? And many such things did they say unto them, gnashing their teeth upon them and spitting upon them and saying, How shall we look when we are damned? And many such things, yea, all manner of such things did they say unto them, and thus they did mock them for many days. And they did withhold food from them that they might hunger, and water that they might thirst. And they also did take from them their clothes that they were naked, and thus they were bound with strong cords and confined in prison. We later learn that the outrageous acts of the leaders of Ammonihah included not only the chief judge and rulers of the city, but lawyers, priests of Nehor's church, 
and teachers of Nehor's beliefs. The cruel and cowardly brutality of these men was greatly magnified by the fact that Amulek was not only one of their former prominent citizens, but Alma was the chief judge of the whole land. He was the president of the church and had been commander-in-chief of all of the Nephite armies. Now we come to the most important day in the lives of these two starved, naked, tortured servants of God. And it came to pass, after they had thus suffered for many days, and it was on the twelfth day in the tenth month in the tenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, that the chief judge over the land of Ammonihah and many of their teachers and their lawyers went in unto the prison where Alma and Amulek were bound with cords. And the chief judge stood before them and smote them again and said unto them, If ye have the power of God, deliver yourselves from these bands, and then we will believe that the Lord will destroy this people according to your words. And it came to pass that they all went forth and smote them, saying the same words, even until the last. And when the last had spoken unto them, the power of God was upon Alma and Amulek, and they rose and stood upon their feet. When the power of God came upon Alma, that was the moment he had been desperately waiting for. Now he could expect God's help. And Alma cried, saying, How long shall we suffer these great afflictions, O Lord? O Lord, give us strength according to our faith which is in Christ, even unto deliverance. And they broke the cords with which they were bound. And when the people saw this, they began to flee, for the fear of destruction had come upon them. And it came to pass that so great was their fear, that they fell to the earth, and did not obtain the outer door of the prison. And the earth shook mightily, and the walls of the prison were rent in twain, so that they fell to the earth. And the chief judge and the lawyers and priests and teachers who smote upon Alma and Amulek were slain by the fall thereof. And Alma and Amulek came forth out of the prison, and they were not hurt. For the Lord had granted unto them power, according to their faith which was in Christ. And they straightway came forth out of the prison, and they were loosed from their bands, and the prison had fallen to the earth, and every soul within the walls thereof, save it were Alma and Amulek, was slain. And they straightway came forth into the city. Here is one of the most sensational events recorded in the entire Book of Mormon. To the student of the Book of Mormon, this climax is one of the most gratifying highlights. With Paul, we are able to exclaim, quote, God will not be mocked, unquote. The last verse in this chapter provides the fitting finale to this entire episode. Now the people, having heard a great noise, came running together by multitudes to know the cause of it. And when they saw Alma and Amulek coming forth out of the prison, and the walls thereof had fallen to the earth, they were struck with great fear, and fled from the presence of Alma and Amulek, even as a goat fleeth with her young from two lions. And thus they did flee from the presence of Alma and Amulek. Alma chapter 15 One cannot help but ask, what would Alma and Amulek do next? The answer is in the first verse of this chapter. And it came to pass that Alma and Amulek were commanded to depart out of that city, and they departed, and came out even into the land of Sidom. And behold, there they found all the people who had departed out of the land of Ammonihah, who had been cast out and stoned, because they believed in the words of Alma. When Alma and Amulek reached Sidon, they found a large body of refugees who had accepted their message and then been stoned and forced to flee from Ammonihah. Now these two servants of God had the heartbreaking task of telling these men about the terrible fate of the women and children. And they related unto them all that had happened unto their wives and children, and also concerning themselves and of their power of deliverance. 
But at least these refugees knew that God was on their side when they heard of the miraculous deliverance of Alma and Amulek. Now very shortly a surprising thing happened. And also Zeezrom lay sick at Sidom with a burning fever, which was caused by the great tribulations of his mind on account of his wickedness, for he supposed that Alma and Amulek were no more, and he supposed that they had been slain because of his iniquity. And this great sin and his many other sins did harrow up his mind until it did become exceeding sore, having no deliverance. Therefore he began to be scorched with a burning heat. It is interesting to see what was generating in the guilt-ridden mind of Zeezrom, which had led him to believe he had been responsible for the death of the two missionaries. However, when he heard they were alive, he thought they could save his life. Now when he heard that Alma and Amulek were in the land of Sidom, his heart began to take courage, and he sent a message immediately unto them, desiring them to come unto him. And it came to pass that they went immediately, obeying the message which he had sent unto them. And they went in unto the house unto Zeezrom, and they found him upon his bed sick, being very low with a burning fever, and his mind also was exceeding sore because of his iniquities. And when he saw them, he stretched forth his hand and besought them that they would heal him. Surely here was a fantastic turn of events. The one man who, more than anyone else, had been responsible for Alma and Amulek almost being murdered, was now pleading to these two same men to have God heal him and save his life. And it came to pass that Alma said unto him, taking him by the hand, Believest thou in the power of Christ unto salvation? And he answered and said, Yea, I believe all the words that thou hast taught. And Alma said, If thou believest in the redemption of Christ, thou canst be healed. And he said, Yea, I believe according to thy words. And then Alma cried unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, our God, have mercy on this man, and heal him according to his faith which is in Christ. And when Alma had said these words, Zeezrom leaped upon his feet and began to walk. And this was done to the great astonishment of all the people. And the knowledge of this went forth throughout all the land of Sidom. This was almost as great a miracle as the conversion of Paul nearly a century later. And Alma baptized Zeezrom unto the Lord. And he began from that time forth to preach unto the people. And Alma established a church in the land of Sidom, and consecrated priests and teachers in the land, to baptize unto the Lord whosoever were desirous to be baptized. And it came to pass that they were many, for they did flock in from all the region round about Sidom, and were baptized. Meanwhile we cannot help but wonder what had happened to the people in Ammonihah after Alma and Amulek had been so miraculously saved while the chief judge and all the civic leaders of Ammoniah had been instantly killed as the prison collapsed over their heads. But as to the people that were in the land of Ammonihah, they yet remained a hard-hearted and a stiff-necked people, and they repented not of their sins, ascribing all the power of Alma and Amulek to the devil, for they were of the profession of Nehor, and did not believe in the repentance of their sins. In this verse we learn what had happened to the fortune, family, and friends of Amulek. He had lost them all. And it came to pass that Alma and Amulek, Amulek, having forsaken all his gold and silver and his precious things, which were in the land of Ammonihah, for the word of God, he being rejected by those who were once his friends, and also by his father and his kindred. It says Amulek had even lost his father and his kindred. This would seem to include his wife, his children, and his brothers and sisters. 
However, in the next chapter, we find that only a few weeks later, all of the inhabitants of Ammonihah were dead, including the kindred of Amulek. Therefore, after Alma, having established the church at Sidon, seeing a great check, yea, seeing that the people were checked as to the pride of their hearts, and began to humble themselves before God, and began to assemble themselves together at their sanctuaries to worship God before the altar, watching and praying continually that they might be delivered from Satan and from death and from destruction. It was typical of Alma with all his missionary zeal to build up the church inside him before he returned home. He apparently held numerous conferences, and one of his major themes was, quote, beware of pride, unquote. Now, as I said, Alma, having seen all these things, therefore he took Amulek and came over to the land of Zarahemla and took him to his own house and did administer unto him in his tribulations and strengthened him in the Lord. Alma could not have had a more faithful missionary companion than Amulek, and he took him home with him. Later we find Zeezrom joining Alma for his missionary campaign to the Zoramites. So Alma may have taken the repentant Zeezrom back to Zarahemla with him as well as Amulek. Mormon the historian closes this amazing historical epic by saying, And thus ended the tenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. Alma chapter 16. It is interesting that Alma had barely arrived back in Zarahemla when the cry of alarm was heard that a large army of Lamanites had appeared in the land. This came as a shocking surprise since there had not been any invasion by the Lamanites for approximately six years. And it came to pass in the eleventh year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, on the fifth day of the second month, there having been much peace in the land of Zarahemla, there having been no wars nor contentions for a certain number of years, even until the fifth day of the second month in the eleventh year, there was a cry of war heard throughout the land. Of course, the big question was where the Lamanites would attack. In the previous years, the Lamanite target had always been the city of Zarahemla. But this time the Lamanites headed for the borders of the western wilderness, bypassing Zarahemla. For behold, the armies of the Lamanites had come in upon the wilderness side, into the borders of the land, even into the city of Ammonihah, and began to slay the people and destroy the city. This was an amazing development. Of all the cities among the Nephites, the one that would have been the most likely to have welcomed the Lamanites and joined them in conquering the Nephites would have been the people of Ammonihah. In fact, Ammonihah was the headquarters of a growing conspiracy to completely conquer the rest of the Nephite nation. And now it came to pass, before the Nephites could raise a sufficient army to drive them out of the land, they had destroyed the people who were in the city of Ammonihah, and also some around the borders of Noah, and taken others captive into the wilderness. However, the Lamanites had not come to just conquer the Nephites. They intended to totally annihilate them. They had therefore selected Ammonihah over near the western wilderness to begin the annihilation process. We learn from verse 9 that they killed every man, woman, and child in Ammonihah and reduced the city to ruins. Then they captured a lot of prisoners from the nearby towns and headed back along the southern wilderness toward the headwaters of the Sidon River. Now it came to pass that the Nephites were desirous to obtain those who had been carried away captive into the wilderness. Therefore he that had been appointed chief captain over the armies of the Nephites, and his name was Zoram, and he had two sons, Lehi and Ahah, now Zoram and his two sons, knowing that Alma was high priest over the church, and having heard that he had the spirit of prophecy, therefore they went unto him, and desired of him to know whither the Lord would that they should go into the wilderness in search of their brethren, who had been taken captive by the Lamanites. Alma had apparently remained in Zarahemla, but Zoram, the new chief captain, 
knew that God might tell his prophet where the Lamanites had gone so the prisoners could be rescued. And it came to pass that Alma inquired of the Lord concerning the matter. And Alma returned and said unto them, Behold, the Lamanites will cross the river Sidon in the south wilderness, away up beyond the borders of the land of Manti. And behold, there shall ye meet them on the east of the river Sidon. And there the Lord will deliver unto thee thy brethren who have been taken captive by the Lamanites. It is interesting that Alma not only learned the secret of where the Lamanites were marching, but the Lord promised the Nephites a great victory when they encountered the Lamanites. Here was an intelligence service of the highest order. And it came to pass that Zoram and his sons crossed over the river Sidon with their armies, and marched away beyond the borders of Manti into the south wilderness, which was on the east side of the river Sidon. And they came upon the armies of the Lamanites, and the Lamanites were scattered and driven into the wilderness. And they took their brethren, who had been taken captive by the Lamanites, and there was not one soul of them had been lost that were taken captive. And they were brought by their brethren to possess their own lands. The rescuing of the prisoners and getting them back to their own lands involved many months. The Lamanite invasion began in the second month, but now it was toward the end of the year. Now we get a full report on the devastating attack which the Lamanites had made against Ammonihah. It had been a genocidal attack designed to kill every living thing in the city and in the general region. It had been such a strong city with a large population of all those who believed in Nehor's apostate church that the people believed no military force could overthrow it. But it was totally demolished and the Nehor population slaughtered and destroyed in a single day. And thus ended the eleventh year of the judges, the Lamanites having been driven out of the land and the people of Ammonihah were destroyed. Yea, every living soul of the Ammonihahites was destroyed, and also their great city, which they said God could not destroy because of its greatness. But behold, in one day it was left desolate, and the carcasses were mangled by dogs and wild beasts of the wilderness. It says that, quote, after many days, unquote, the Nephites wanted to reoccupy the city of Ammonihah, but it was virtually impossible. Nevertheless, after many days, their dead bodies were heaped up upon the face of the earth, and they were covered with a shallow covering. And now so great was the scent thereof that the people did not go in to possess the land of Ammoniah for many years. And it was called Desolation of Nehors, for they were of the profession of Nehor who were slain, and their lands remained desolate. We see that Chief Captain Zoram and his inspired mobilization of Nephite troops must have had a devastating impact on the Lamanite armies. The record says, And the Lamanites did not come again to war against the Nephites until the fourteenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And thus for three years did the people of Nephi have continual peace in all the land. And Alma and Amulek went forth preaching repentance to the people in their temples and in their sanctuaries, and also in their synagogues, which were built after the manner of the Jews. And as many as would hear their words, unto them they did impart the word of God, without any respect of persons, continually. It is interesting that Alma kept Amulek beside him as he labored diligently to keep the Nephite churches in order, and motivate the people to live in righteousness during this period of peace. It is obvious that Alma and Amulek raised up a host of faithful leaders to strengthen the body of the church everywhere. And thus did Alma and Amulek go forth, and also many more who had been chosen for the work, to preach the word throughout all the land. And the establishment of the church became general throughout the land, in all the region round about among all the people of the Nephites. When the saints are righteous and at peace, there are certain wonderful characteristics that seem to appear in their society. It was almost a miracle that it could be recorded that at this time of peace among the Nephites, there was no inequality among them. And there was no inequality among them. 
The Lord did pour out his Spirit on all the face of the land to prepare the minds of the children of men, or to prepare their hearts to receive the word which should be taught among them at the time of his coming, that they might not be hardened against the word, that they might not be unbelieving and go on to destruction, but that they might receive the word with joy, and as a branch be grafted into the true vine, that they might enter into the rest of the Lord their God. Alma and his associates were very anxious to preserve righteousness during the period of peace so that it would continue thereafter. They were therefore anxious to point out any instances of behavior that required repentance. Nearly everybody believes in repentance as a general principle, but the shoe begins to pinch when the leaders of the church start pointing out specific sins. This is what Alma and his spiritual leaders were doing. They were itemizing the usual list of human frailties and urging the people to face up to their specific problems. Now those priests who did go forth among the people did preach against all lyings and deceivings and envyings and strifes and malice and revilings and stealing, robbing, plundering, murdering, committing adultery and all manner of lasciviousness, crying that these things ought not so to be. And with Alma, the most important thing to constantly keep before the people was the reality of the coming of Christ and the redemptive sacrifice he would provide to open the doors to the resurrection for the human family. Holding forth things which must shortly come, yea, holding forth the coming of the Son of God, his sufferings and death, and also the resurrection of the dead. The first big question was when he would come. And the next question was, where would he come? And many of the people did inquire concerning the place where the Son of God should come. And they were taught that he would appear unto them after his resurrection. And this the people did hear with great joy and gladness. It is interesting that Alma knew Jesus would appear in America after the resurrection. Mormon the historian felt a great deal of good had been accomplished by Alma and his spiritual leaders so he summarized the winding-up scenes of the fourteenth year of the judges as follows. And now after the church had been established throughout all the land, having got the victory over the devil and the word of God being preached in its purity in all the land, and the Lord pouring out his blessings upon the people, thus ended the fourteenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. We hope you're enjoying this podcast by W. Cleon Skousen. To find additional books and recordings on this and other topics, please visit skousenlibrary.com.